Greet the other two families that are here today. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we've come to worship you. You deserve it. And it's not because you've blessed us so much. It's just simply because of who you are. And so, however many or few we are right now, I just pray that you enable us to worship you with all our hearts. Pray for those who are making their way here, especially those of us who may have had a very difficult week. I pray that you will release them with a freedom in Christ to be able to worship you no matter how they feel. Thank you, Lord, for this privilege. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys ready to worship? Yeah. All right. At the foot of the cross Where grace and suffering Show me your love through the judgment you receive. my heart. Yes, you were my heart. Now I can trade these ashes in for beauty. And where forgiveness like a crown Coming to kiss the feet of mercy I lay every burden down At the foot of the cross At the foot of the cross Where I
you've won my heart.
takes away our sin, who takes away our sin. The Holy Lamb of God makes us alive again, makes us alive again. Behold the Lamb. Behold. Thank you that we have life because of you. Thank you for dying for us on the cross. You 
So I was just actually the other night, um, Fever Pitch was on TV. And uh, it was at that scene where, like, they, he gets the, the, the season tickets, and he runs out to the UPS guy, and he gives him a big hug and jumps on the UPS guy because he's delivering. You're not that guy, are you? You're not that. You jump. <laughs> oh, the Dodger. Oh, that's. Sorry, Dodger fans. <laughs> Okay, we will forgive Eric for that comment. <laughs> I'm not a Dodger fan, so. All right. Uh, not getting signal. Okay. Let's pray. We're obviously experiencing a few technical difficulties. Uh, Lord, thank you for being with us this day. We gather together in your name. Uh, we wait expectantly on you because we really don't know what's, what lies ahead. But all we know is that you are with us and we can count on that. Thank you, Lord, for the songs that we sang together that remind us that you're with us every moment, that you are the reason that we sing and that 
you are the reason why we worship you. And you are the reason why we're here this morning. So we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, welcome to week two of a new era for Harvest. Uh, it's hard to believe that the weeks are passing so quickly, right? Uh, as someone once said in Raising Kids, the days are long, but the years are short. And while that certainly applies to child rearing, as well as the rest of life, right? Doesn't it? So what are we supposed to do in this transitional period? What are we supposed to do? Well, as Sean encouraged us last week, what we are to do is to wait on God. Now, waiting doesn't mean doing nothing. Uh, sometimes we think that waiting involves passivity, sitting on our hands, waiting patiently for something to happen. Um, it can mean resting, which we will address at one point or another. But waiting, and especially waiting on God, actually requires a good amount of concentrated effort and focused purpose. So what are we, gonna do? What are we to do? Well, one thing Sean mentioned last week uh, was that as elders, we are committed to waiting on God and seeking his vision for harvest. We must have a sense that this, whatever it is, is our identity. This is who God made us to be and brought us together to accomplish. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Part of the answer is to seek God's vision through prayer and through his word. Yes? We've already experienced some of that. We've already experienced some of that. The passage that Sean spoke on last week, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, was one of those passages that the elders, including, including Pastor Curtis, studied and meditated over during our elders' retreat. That passage, along with three or, three or four other passages, were what guided us through our prayer time uh, that day as we sat and sought to listen to what God was telling us through those passages. Today's passage, Genesis 2, was another one of those that we meditated on. Now, Genesis chapter 2 takes us back to the very beginning, not the beginning of harvest, but the beginning of everything, of all creation. Genesis means origin, uh, beginning. So what better place to start than at the very, very beginning? Because it's a very good place to start. Genesis is the story of creation. It is the story of how God created the heavens and the earth and the reasons for his creation. The reasons for his creation. In chapter 1 of Genesis, we saw that God's creation was from an overview, kind of a, a large grand summary of how God created the heavens and the earth in six evenings and six mornings. And then, of course, on the seventh day, he rested. In the first half of chapter 2, Genesis begins to describe God's work in greater detail, including and ultimately the creation of humankind, men and women. In verse 7, it says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and then God planted a garden in the east in a place called Eden. In Eden means delight. Eden translated means delight. So the garden was meant to be a garden, a place of delight, where you, you are delighted. And then verse 15 tells us man's purpose in life, his mission, the vision for what his life would be like. Now let's read this together, starting with uh, verse 15 
through verse 17. It's uh, up on the, the, uh, the projector. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 15. And we're going to read these verses together, three verses together. All right, let's begin. Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What is God's purpose for mankind? What is God's purpose for mankind? Well, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 tells us our purpose is to work and care for the garden. To work and care for the garden. At least that's what he assigned Adam to do. Now, I like gardens. I like gardens. Wherever Priscilla and I travel, we always try to visit local gardens. Uh, last month, we visited Portland. And if you know anything about Oregon, you know that it rains there a lot. And yes, it rained there while we were visiting. And we visited three gardens in the three days we were in Portland. But we didn't visit one donut shop. I think we'll have to return to Portland someday. But the gardens in Portland were beautiful, probably because of the weather there. Now, sometimes we get this image of Adam in the Garden of Eden, lazing around, picking whatever fruit he wanted to eat, except, of course, from that one tree, and just strolling through the garden with God in the cool of the day. But no, God gave Adam a job. He was like every parent with a teenager in the summertime. Get a job. Get a job. But what was Adam's job? What was Adam's job? To work the garden and to care for it. So how many, how many of us are gardeners here? Raise your hands. All right, a, a few. There are still a few left. Um, I know at least one person in our congregation, one other person, who is an expert gardener, and he knows plants very well. Uh, that's Ron Lynn. Ron Lynn. He's not here today. Um, he's working in his garden. <laughs> but if you have a question about any plant, any plant, go and ask Mr. Lynn. Uh, we have, we have uh, consulted with him many a time on our plants and, and gardens. And so if you have a plant that, that you have questions about, go ask Mr. Lin. And I hope that's okay with him. He's not here today. But, uh, and then ask any of the others that raise their hands as well. Maybe they don't know a, a lot about a lot of plants, but they know something about some plants. Now Priscilla and I gain inspiration from our visits to gardens. And so after our last trip, we were, of course, inspired to work on our garden again. Now, like I said, I like gardens, but Priscilla will tell you, I don't always like gardening. Uh, it's hard work. It can be messy and dirty, right? You gotta dig, you gotta dig through this hard Orange County clay dirt. Uh, so any teenagers who want a summer job, we got in this garden and, and, and clay dirt that 
we, we could use some help with. Yeah? Okay. Maybe I'll talk to you afterwards. Um, and then there are roots, right? You've got to clean out all kinds of weeds and rocks and everything. And then there are roots. There are tree roots. There are roots from the neighbor's trees, right? In your yard. The neighbor's trees in your yard. I'm not, you're not even responsible for them, but you still have to clear them out. So gardening can be hard work. But, you know, even in the hard work, it can be a pleasant experience as well. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were gardening, clearing out some overgrown, overgrown bush, bush. And just after about, just about an hour and a half of trimming this bush and chopping the roots, you know, the roots down and the, brush, the, the, uh, the bush, bushes, parts of it, um, putting it in the recycle bin to make it fit in the recycle bin, my arms began to get really tired. So I had to quit. I had to stop. And then the next morning, Sunday morning, my arms started to feel really stiff. And they got stiffer and stiffer as the week went on. And then the following Saturday, because of the shoulder pain, I couldn't put as much effort into the gardening. So I did what I could. I got a small pruning shears, and I started to prune this little plant that had some disease on it. Um, and as I was kneeling down to prune this plant, uh, it was in the cool of the morning. You know, it was one of those June gloom mornings, not like we're experiencing this week, where it was peaceful and quiet, and I could hear the call of a mockingbird in the quiet of the morning. And while it was work, it was pleasant. It was also very pleasant at that time. So let me ask you, can church be like a garden? Can church be like a garden? And if so, how? How can church be like a garden? Anybody have any thoughts? How can church, how can being in church, how can having a church, how can being part of a church be like a garden or gardening? Anybody? Any thoughts? Okay, you have to deal with stuff that isn't yours. Sometimes a lot of stuff that isn't yours. Okay. Lots of roots that are there, and sometimes you do have to dig out those roots, right? And, but yes, absolutely. When it's healthy, when the plants are healthy, you have roots there that hold you uh, steady, that give you grounding. Yes, absolutely. Anything else? To see growth, right? The reason why we garden is to grow things, maybe even fruit sometimes. Yeah. Anything else, Leslie? Is this a... uh, constant maintenance, weeding and watering, and it provides food, snacks. Yeah, not chips necessarily, but uh, good, good fruit. Good, good fruit. Anything else? Different seasons. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Different seasons of life. Supposed to be a harvest. Supposed to be a harvest. A harvest. Okay, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Anything else? You have to shovel manure. <laughs> Interestingly though, the maneuver the manure is the good stuff. Right? It it feeds the ground that feeds the, the plants. You don't make 
Oh, you don't make the plants grow. You're not, res- you're not responsible for the results. God's responsible for the results, right? Yeah. Place of rest, the place of peace, streams in the desert, right? You know, God has this way of doing things, right? It's amazing. It takes time, right? It takes time. Not only to do the work, but to see the results. Jesus taught in many parables, right? And often he would use farming and gardening analogies. I think partly because that was their culture. That was, you know, what they were raised in. But, you know, Jesus is God, and so he knows what life is about. And I, and I can't help but wonder if he applies and we can apply those same analogies to every aspect of life, including church. Well, one of my favorite parables is the parable of the sower and the seed. And in this parable, Jesus said that the sower sowed his seed, the word of God. And some of the seed fell on the path, and some, some on the rocky soil, and some in the thorny places, and some on good, fertile ground. And the seed that fell on the path didn't get planted. It didn't take root. And so the birds came and plucked it and ate it. In other words, the word of God was heard in a person's heart, but Satan took the word away. And then some of the seed fell on the path, on the rocky soil. And the rocks, uh, the seed took a little bit of root, and it grew for a short while. But because it didn't have firm, fertile ground, because it was rocky, the sun came, the heat of the day came, and it, and it, and it burned the, 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 the plant, and it died. And some of the seed fell in, in thorns, in thorny ground where weeds were, where thorns were, the thorny plants were. And, the, and the, the seed got planted, the word got planted in that person's heart. But because of the thorns were growing and the weeds were growing and it wasn't uh, cleared of all of the other competing plants, the nutrients were taken away. And so these thorns and these thistles represent the worries and cares of our life and the things that we think about other than God. And those things took away the nutrients uh, that were, uh, the plant needed, and so the plant didn't grow. And finally, the fourth one, the, the seed was planted on fertile ground, the place where the farmer wanted it to be planted, where he had already dug up the roots, already weeded out the, um, dug up the ground and broke it up and added fertilizer to it. And it was ready, and it was fertile, and the, and the word was planted there, and it took root. And it was, it was uh, nurtured in that root, in that ground. And it took root, and it began to grow. And eventually, it produced fruit. Tenfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold. Now, this final soul type is what happens in a heart when it's been prepared to receive the word of God. It's fertilized. It's cleared of the debris. And when the root of the word of God is planted, it begins to take root and it begins to grow. And if it continues to be cultivated, hopefully it will someday produce fruit. 
Now let me ask you, what are some areas where a church can be like a garden? Where a church can be like a garden? Well, I think about our, our promised land, right? Because that's the area where we are preparing hearts. We are breaking up hard ground. We are weed, taking out the weeds and hopefully planting the word of God, the good seed of God, and hopefully where it takes root. So if indeed we are to be like gardeners, and if the church is like our garden, let's ask ourselves, let's ask ourselves, what, what is our part in that picture? What is your part in that picture? Where are you in that picture? Can you see yourself participating in God's endeavor, in, gar- in God's garden of delight. But you know, the great thing is God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us alone to do the work. We continue in Genesis 2, two chap- uh, chapter 2, verse 18. And I'm going to read that for you. And you can just read along. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. God gives Adam a job to care for the garden and to name the animals. And so this kind of begs the question, what is God's purpose in man's purpose? What is God's part in man's purpose? What is, does he play a part with us? Does God have a role in man's life pur- purpose? Well, yes, of course. He doesn't leave us alone to work. God saw that man was alone. He's, he's lonely. So what did he do? He formed um, out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky, and he brought them to Adam to accomplish his second job, to name the animals. And whatever Adam called the creature, that was its name. It reminds me of a joke about Adam and Eve talking together one day in the garden, And an elephant strolls by, and Eve asks Adam, what is that? And so Adam says, why, it's an elephant, of course. And Eve asks, elephant? You know, why why did you name that thing an elephant? And Adam's answer was, well, because it looks like an elephant. (laughs) Ba-doom-ba. That's the end of the joke. It looks like an elephant. Well, here we can see that God gave Adam a job to do. But God also participates in the task. God also participates in the task. God works alongside of us. Can you imagine the scene? Here Adam is in the garden tending to the plants, making sure that they are placed in the right position so they get just the right amount of sunlight facing in the right direction, getting the proper amount of water, making sure there are no competing plants 
that can vie for water or sun. You know, that's what gardening is. Gardening isn't just like taking a plant and digging a hole and plopping in the ground and, you know, watering it every once in a while and expecting that something's going to happen there. Uh, no, a garden, a gardener carefully studies the plants in order to understand exactly what each one needs. And then he or she carefully places the plant in the right place, in the right position, along with other plants that are compatible with that plant so they don't compete with each other. Um, or even contradiction, contradicting in their needs. Too much sun, too much, too much water, too little sun, too little water. And then the gardener tends the garden, right? They water, they weed, they check on the plants to make sure that they are flourishing. Now, how do you think Adam learned all of that? Uh, I'm sure he could have tried trial and error, right? It could have been trial and error. And I'm sure he would have killed many a poor plant that way, just as I have killed many a poor, poor plant that way, because I didn't make sure all the elements were right. But actually, I picture God working alongside of Adam, kind of explaining to him what each plant needed, very carefully telling him where they should be planted and, and what they needed. And, and not only that, not only did he explain the purpose of the garden, but he also began to bring all the animals to Adam. And he began to ask him to name them. And that was God's part in Adam's job. He wanted to, to work alongside of him, and he wants to, us to work alongside of him as well. I don't think it's ever God's intent that we feel like anything we do, whether it's work or school or church, if we have proclaimed faith in Jesus and are walking in an active relationship with him, that we are doing any of these endeavors completely on our own. I think it's always the case that in whatever we do, what God, want, what God wants us to do, he wants to work alongside of us to work in community and in communion with us. But Jesus used another farming analogy when he said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I'd like us to read uh, these verses together as well. All right, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Let's read it together. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a picture of two oxen working together in what is called a yoke. Very clearly, God does not want our lives to be lives of heavy burden, because Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because in this case, the two oxen are yoked together. They're tied together. And the farmer pairs a stronger oxen, a more mature ox, with a younger, less experienced ox, so that the younger one could learn from the mature one. That's why Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. But the key here is that we work with Jesus, not the opposite. Not the opposite. We should be learning from him, 
plowing the fields that he is plowing, not trying to do our own thing. Only then will the burden of our life, our church ministry, our work, our schooling be light when we're doing it with Jesus. During our elders' prayer, Sean had this vision when, when he was meditating on this passage, this Matthew 11 passage. And the vision was of a field that needed to be plowed. You know, a, a field that needed to be plowed. And there he was looking at this field. And he was like, oh man, there's so much work to do and I just have this one plow. I just have this one plow. And then God came into the picture. And he looked at the field. And I'm not sure exactly uh, if you said that God snapped his fingers or something like that. Anyway, all of a sudden, God snapped his fingers, and then the field was all plowed. It was all done. Nice, neat rows, exactly how he wanted it. Didn't have to lift a finger, right? And then, just like that, God snapped his fingers again, and the plow was back, and the field was back to the way it was, unplowed, needing to be, needing to be plowed. Now, the point of it was that God doesn't need us to help him plow the field. He could do it in a snap of his finger or, or with a word like he did with creation. But God chooses to work with us. God chooses us to work alongside of him. We don't have to do it together. He chooses us because he desires to have fellowship with us in this endeavor. He wants to do it alongside of us. But this can only happen if we have yielded our lives to Jesus. Have you yielded your life to Jesus? Is your burden light? If it isn't, maybe you should ask yourself that question. Have I yielded my life to Jesus? Have we yielded our church to Jesus? Are we seeking to follow his lead, his direction? And will we do that in the future? Will we do that in the future? As part of the elder board, I can assure you that at the very least, that is our intention. We intend to follow God's lead. Wherever that, wherever that takes us. We will be seeking God every step of the way. But we don't want to be seeking God by ourselves. While, yes, we have been given that responsibility, and it is, it is our responsibility to help lead the church, it's your responsibility as well, every one of you, to be praying, to be seeking God, to be asking him, What does he want for our church? Where does he want us to go? And how will we get there? So what was the result of this second job that God gave to Adam? Well, verse 20 tells us that for every other animal, there were mates. There were were suitable helpers. But for Adam, there was not a suitable helper. So all the other animals had male and female counterparts. Um, They were suitable, compatible, comparable helpers. But for Adam, there was only Adam. You know, I think this was God's strategy. I think he did this on purpose, to create in Adam a longing in his heart for someone that corresponded to him, someone that was suitable, 
someone that was like him, but also different from him. So what did, what did God do? Well, the rest of the passage tells us that. So, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This, of course, is the story of the beginning of the human race. When God saw Adam's need, and he provided for that need. Now, how does God provide for our journey? How does God provide for our journey? Well, from this passage, we see that we have been given one another. We have been given one another. We have been given this beautiful gift of one another, male and female. Now, this is the very first wedding ceremony. And isn't it beautiful that it was held in a garden, not a church building? Not that a church building isn't beautiful and equally appropriate, but God established the institution of marriage in a garden. I think one of the strengths of Harvest has been that we have tried to build up marriages to be strong and unified in the Lord. We actually have Pastor Curtis to thank for a lot of that. Um, as he followed God's lead in making and establishing fellowships like Couples Garden and the Young, couples, young Married Couples Fellowship, and then encouraging attendances uh, to seminars and conferences that help strengthen marriage relationships at Harvest. You know, and it, it, it's no means perfect. I think, um, you know, we all have our struggles in our relationships here. But I think there is an awareness of the importance of a strong relationships, strong relationship between husbands and wives. And now that's not to say that singleness is not important either. It's easy to become so focused on one aspect of life that we lose sight of another. The healthy marriages start with healthy singles. So it's important that we also care for and encourage those who are currently called to live a single life. But I think it's safe to say that we can see the importance that God places on strong families and strong marriages, especially if he established it at the, very be at the very beginning of all of creation. And so, of course, this is really is expressed in our families. It is expressed in families. We know that church is like a family, but family is like a garden too, isn't it? It takes time and intention to grow a healthy family. We have to make sure our children get the right nutrients physically. But what about spiritually? We want them to have good friends, right? Not live among the weeds and the thorns. We want to give them the best opportunities to thrive and grow in healthy ways, right? We're willing to make the effort to invest in their education to develop their minds, to help them become thriving result, uh, adults, right? 
Doesn't it make sense that we want to invest in their spiritual lives as well? Isn't, it, isn't their eternity more important than what job they will end up with? You know, the church is more like a garden than we realize. And let me ask you one more thing. What's the difference between hiring a gardener and doing the gardening yourself? What's the difference between hiring a, hiring a gardener and doing the gar- gardening yourself? Well, the benefits of a professional gardener are they, knew what, they know what they're doing, hopefully. They have the right tools to get the job done. They do all the hard work, and you enjoy the, the results. But what are the benefits of doing it yourself? What are the benefits of doing it yourself? Well, you save money right? You'll learn about your garden along the way, about the plants, about what they need and don't need. Um, You get some exercise, so you don't have to go to one of those fancy gyms, and you save more money. Probably most importantly, you are personally invested in your garden. You are personally invested in your garden. So when you enjoy the results of a well-tended garden, that joy is multiplied. That joy is multiplied. Does God want us to view harvest as a garden, even a garden of delight? After all, our our name is harvest. Well, maybe, maybe. In any case, God wants us to work for his kingdom. God wants us to work for his kingdom. We are called to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. But it's also true that God doesn't want us to work alone. He he wants to work alongside of us. He wants us to work alongside of him. Remember, he is leading and we are following. And finally, and it is certainly true, that we've been given one another. We've been given each other as helpers to work together alongside of God in this garden of delight. I I hope that we can meditate on this thought as we seek God together in this next chapter for Harvest in its history. I hope and I think it will be an exciting time. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks, um, and as we're, as we're meditating, as we're thinking about what you have in store for harvest, we know that you want to have communion with us. You want to share with us every aspect of life, including this life, this family, this church family. We know, Lord, that it began at the cross, began at Good Friday, and it was accomplished on Easter Sunday. And even before that, Lord, you established this time of community, of communion. In that, up, <clears throat> in that upper room, And so, Lord, we prepare our hearts 
to worship you through communion, to remember what you did for us, and to give you thanks for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, um, Jesus gathered his disciples together in a small room, brought them together, and they had prepared um, for the Passover feast, and as they were... um, as they were enjoying the feast together, he, he sort of stopped and he said, um, let's pause, let's pause. So I, I'd like us to stop right now and I'd like us to spend some time in prayer and just have a time for you to connect with God, to connect with Jesus. And just say thank you. Say thank you to Jesus or what he has done for us. Lord Jesus, we do give you thanks for your sacrifice for us. And then just showing us exactly what it meant when you gave yourself, your body, poured out your blood for us. How the grace of the Lord covers us. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that comes from your sacrifice. Amen. Paul wrote in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. So we've already done a little bit of that. We've already spent time examining ourselves. I'm going to ask um, uh, Glenn and Eric to come forward and help to serve the communion altar. And as you receive the elements, just hold them in your hands and Have some time of communion with God. Maybe there's something you need to confess. Certainly there are things that we can give thanks for.
as we've already done. These are the times where God is plowing up the hard ground of our hearts and planting new seeds in them. Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Take it, and as often as you do it, you do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he said, this is my body, this is my blood poured out for you for the new covenant. As often as you drink it, you you do this in remembrance of me. Father, we give you thanks for the special grace of sharing communion together in your family, in your garden. Lord, remind us constantly, continually, that you are with us. You will take us to the next place. And we walk with you and we go with you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the great sacrifice that you have made for us. What a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we listen for your voice 
We listen for your leading. And we thank you for your comfort, even in these times of change and transition. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to continue worshiping the Lord together with uh, giving back to God time. So the bags will come around and you can drop your uh, communion cups in the, the bag as well.
What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing What a powerful name it is. The name of Death could not hold you. Death could not hold you, hell tore before you, silence the boast of sin and pain. Heavens are roaring, rays of your glory, for you are remain standing for the benediction. May the, Lord, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit in the wonderful and beautiful and powerful name of Jesus. We pray amen and amen. Thanks for joining us and please stay and have a time of refreshment and uh,